One thing I really know is that most of us don't have any idea what self-care is or how to take care of ourselves or what we even need because we are too busy. And the big takeaway for me, Erica, was to stop, to slow way down, to really tune in, to take time with myself, and then to let go of all the things that didn't work. Dear Balancer, I know you're a determined person on the lookout for ways to live a more fulfilling and balanced life, but you're busy. And if we're being honest, that busyness often comes at the expense of your priorities. The Balance Theory podcast is made to teach busy bees just like you how to find and own your own definition of balance so that you can become unapologetic in how you choose to spend your time. I'm your host, Erica, and together, let's find your unique balance. Alrighty, Balancers, today's guest is an intuitive coach who helps people find relief from crisis, confusion, and stress. She hosts the Self-Care for Extremely Busy Women podcast, I think a title that uh, speaks to the soul of everybody listening, and she's also the author of Free-Spirited, How My Daughter Helped Heal Me from the Afterlife. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome Suzanne Falter to the show today. Suzanne, a warm welcome. Thank you, Erica. Very happy to be here. It's, it's nice to have you on. So where in the world are you streaming from? Oakland, California. Beautiful. Uh, I guess when you reached out to me, when we were initially chatting back and forth, you started to explain to me, or to describe in it at least, the story or the episode in your life that you feel really helped you reinvent yourself and your life journey and mission. And you describe it as sad funny, incredible, and inspiring. And that is the advent of losing your daughter, which I can't even wrap my head around or process, you know, even going through something like that. And I'd be extremely grateful if you could share that experience with the listeners today and and what that meant for the trajectory of your life and your life's purpose. I'd be happy to. I mean, the truth is that sometimes crisis sets us free. And I was in a place at the time where I was overworked, I had had a very successful marketing coaching business online and um, I had completely burned out on it and closed it. I had been in a toxic relationship that had just ended and I had moved out so I didn't even have a place to live. And uh, I was driving around the Bay Area trying to, I was kind of new to the Bay Area for, had moved here a a year earlier. And I was trying to figure out where do I want to live? What is the thing I want to do? And where, where am I supposed to focus my energy? And my daughter had come to the Bay Area because she wanted to be a healer. And she, she was a trained blues singer. She, and, you know, working in Austin, Texas, the heart of the blues in America or one of them. And um, <clears throat> she was suddenly really filled with this desire to be a healer. So she came out here and she was going to start taking classes at City College in San Francisco. And the day before that happened, uh, before, before she was to begin, she and I had dinner. She was acting a little strange at dinner in a nice restaurant. And um, she was a little unfocused. Now, Teal had epilepsy, but she had a very well-controlled case of it. So I didn't think too much about it. I had to go meet a friend, so I got someone to drive her home. And the next thing I knew, the hospital was calling, saying, your daughter's in critical condition. She's had a cardiac arrest. And never in a million years would I have anticipated this, ever. Her, you know, her epilepsy was no cause for concern. She went all over the world performing and backpacking around with her little guitar and 
I never thought two things about it. But in fact, she was really impaired that night. And I was so self-involved and wrapped up in my own worries and concerns that I didn't really notice it. And, um, you know, the funny thing is that I walked into her hospital room. She was in the emergency uh, ward, of course. And I walked into where they had her and she was just covered with monitors and beeping machines and I could barely see her body. And I suddenly had this very clear understanding that she was going to die and that I was going to take on her healing work. And that this was this profound transformation that I needed. I was going to lose her, but I had to become a better person. I had to become more balanced. I had to become happier. I had to, I had to do what it took to take care of myself adequately to become a happier person because I was miserable already. And, um, you know, honestly, I was in shock the whole first year. I couldn't believe it had happened. And I kept thinking I could call her. And that's how it is, you know, with, with sudden loss. You often think, you know, this person is still there. But along with it, I had crushing grief, of course, but I also had these weird surges of joy. And not long after her death, I started really feeling her presence from the afterlife. And I could feel her guiding me and helping me return to myself in a way that is pretty darn magical. And, um, you know, it, it's gone on for many years. She died 10 years ago. And uh, I started writing Free Spirited, like just, well, I was already a writer. I had written, I'd written 15 books, but I felt I had to document what was going on because it was so incredible. And it took me a long time, took about eight years to really write this book in bits and pieces and really bring forth the full story because I had to evolve. I had to change. It became this catalyst for me, as I said at the beginning, to do her healing work, which is really about helping people return to self-care and helping people return to themselves. That's really profound. Thank you for, for sharing and detailing that. And I guess in your work and I guess shifting towards becoming that healer that, that guides other people now to do that, what do you feel you've learned or what would you say you can articulate balance or that self-care? What does that actually mean for you now in this aftermath of your transformation and I guess your shift in where your attention has gone? Well, one thing I really know is that most of us don't have any idea what self-care is or how to take care of ourselves or what we even need because we are too busy. And the big takeaway for me, Erica, was to stop, to slow way down, to really tune in, to take time with myself, and then to let go of all the things that didn't work. The first thing to go when I did that was this marketing career. And I was going to launch another class. You know, believe me, that did not go easily because I had had some success and I had made some good money and I was not ready to let go of it. And I also had saved enough money to live on for a couple of years, but I didn't want to let go easily because I thought that it was terribly important that I get this, you know, marketing work out there and, and that this is what I do, even though in my heart, I knew that I didn't really like it that I was time to move on and do something different. I had served people. I thought I'd done a good job, but you know, enough already. I didn't care about it. I didn't deeply, deeply care about it. So 
in the end, what I'm learning now and what I learned then is that all the instructions are inside. But if we don't slow down enough to listen, they they do us no good. Mm. It's virtually I, impossible I, to hear them. Yeah. And I had to have a, a profound loss to be able to stop long enough to really hear them. And I... I did try to launch the next business in the queue, you know, and um, it was really funny because uh, 16 people signed up. It was some good income. And then all of the sudden, the learning platform I'd built totally got hacked into and crashed. And the webmaster kept rebuilding it and, and, and it went down six times. And finally, malware started eating the webmaster's hard drive. So... It was clear the universe was not going to do this. <laughs> yeah, a bit of a sign, I'd say. And so uh, in the end, I was really being forced to completely let go and most importantly, to not know what would be next. And I did not actually receive my new work for two years when an investor called me up and had read a, a novel I'd published years earlier and asked me to start a little publishing company and write fiction. And um I did. I did that. I did it for eight years, and I wrote eight novels, which are you know online, and people can buy them on Amazon and all that kind of stuff. And they provided my income for a, a, a long period of time. I think what's most interesting to me about this conversation is this idea of feeling friction with things that you're currently doing in your life, whether it be your career, whether it be a relationship you're in, whether it be something you're doing or not doing for your health but you kind of resist making that change because of the uncertainty that lies on the other side. And I feel as humans, we have this tendency to only make decisions when we're certain of what's on the other side. That's one thing that I just wanted to pull out. And the second thing is this idea that a lot of us generally are only pushed to make some sort of change in our life when something really dramatic or really profound happens as, as did in your case, because otherwise we kind of go with the flow our life's on autopilot. We've gone to school. We've graduated. We've gotten the job. We've gone through the motions and sort of ticked all, ticked all the boxes. And unless something jarring happens to say, you know, maybe this isn't the right path for you, we so rarely stop and pause to ask that question or acknowledge or just understand, is this intuitively feeling right for me? Is this in alignment with me? So what I want to ask in the scheme of all of that is how do you coach people or how do you for yourself create that space on an ongoing basis. I, I guess the question is targeted towards people listening who might have that little niggle. They might have that little intuitive kick. They might know that something might need a bit of attention, but they haven't really got the confidence to fully dive in or question it because it's not that bad, quote unquote. It's not mm -hmm. that bad. It's not great, but right. it's not that bad. Their heart's maybe not in it. How do we actually mm -hmm. create that space to actually hear those that instruction manual that we actually have within us, but we don't really... It's not apparent day to day. Well, there's two ways. One is through suffering. You you hit a rock bottom where you just can't go forward one more step, at which point you have really injured yourself in some deep psychic way. And, you know, we've all been there one way or another with a relationship or a job or whatever. The other way is to just know something feels right and follow it, even if you don't know how it's going to turn out. The resistance you're talking about is very real. And we resist things like self-care. Well, and self-care includes, of course, 
following your gut and getting your needs met and and being surrounded by the right people uh, that make you feel good and setting boundaries and creating enough time for yourself and you know all of those things the way we resist though indicates that we're afraid of change and instead of avoiding the whole thing altogether consider doing something different because you know it's the old einstein uh, saying about repeating the same thing, expecting different results is insanity because mm-hmm. it is. And, you know, we just have to put on our big girl pants and do it. You know, we really do. Is the long and the short of it, really? Yeah, that's right. There, I cannot give you a magic step that will trick you into pursuing your own desires. But, but it, it's kind of a fake it till you make it situation because, you know, I kept not knowing how I was going to get along and my income got lower and lower and lower and lower. And I, I actually talk about this whole process of living with this uncertainty and free spirited book. And I just got to the point where I was really getting low on money and I was trying to start something. And I kept thinking, oh, now this is no good. I have to do something. But the universe pushed back every single time. And I would go back out there with a little coaching marketing, um, you know, marketing coaching offer and, you know, nobody would sign up or one person would sign up and then she'd refund. And, you know, I mean, it was just pushing a massive boulder up a hill. And my very good friend, um, who's my coach, said, you really have to stop. You cannot keep on like this. And I ended up taking two years away from work. I never would have said to me, to myself, Suzanne, go ahead, take two years off. I told myself I could take a month off. <laughs> and then a month became two months, and then two months became four months. And then before I knew it, two years had gone by. And that's kind of what worked for me was just not expecting perfection immediately, not making a, a, a super radical, I mean, it was a radical change, but not expecting a radical solution immediately. See, if I don't sell a million books tomorrow, I'm not an author that kind of thinking. It's not black or white, this whole process. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because I know for a lot of people listening, even myself, I mean, even sometimes taking one week away, you you experience that guilt, that guilt, right? That feeling you're not being productive. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing enough. I can't do nothing because that's very uncomfortable for me, even though that may not be the case. I mean, I I work as a full-time lawyer. So when I'm doing nothing. I'm doing the podcast. I've got an e-commerce business. I'm always doing something or I'm socializing, right. doing something for myself. But we get this guilt of like, I can't just do nothing. I think for some people listening who, who may be in that crossroads, when it let's put it in a work context, right? They maybe want to leave their job and start their own thing, follow their passion, or maybe do a career shift. That's going to mean that they're earning less money. I think creating that buffer or that getting comfortable with that uncertainty with finances can be something that's really jarring. So would you have oh, yeah. anything to say to uh, those people who maybe just need a little bit of a push or just any like mindset tool, or anything you use that, that kind of helped through the financial aspect? Because I think whilst we can say, you know, it's, it's just one of many of the considerations. It's a very real thing that we need to consider. And we, you know, we have a lot of real responsibilities and expenses that come with those sorts of decisions. So for you, is it a case of pre-planning so that you can make that change and follow your heart or is it dive in and you'll work it out? Like kind of how do you coach people? Well, it's kind of a little of both. I mean, um, 
I went through an experience two years before my daughter's death where I left a 25-year marriage, came out as a lesbian, and moved to San Francisco where I knew one person. <laughs> and I just did that. It was about radical you know? change. <laughs> yeah, it was radical change. But to make that change, first of all, I had, I had a business going that I could take with me, and I had designed it. I had known for a while I was probably going to do this. And then the other thing I did was to really uh, save a lot of money. And saving was very helpful. Not everybody has the opportunity to save a lot of money. And sometimes we're living paycheck to paycheck. And I've been there and I understand how that is. So, you know, pre-planning is great if you can do it. And if it isn't, the thing I've used again and again and again through my entire, well, now 43-year career as a business owner and writer and freelancer, et cetera, is meditating. And in meditation, you get clarity about things that were previously confusing. And I know mm -hmm. it doesn't sound like much of a business tool, but trust me on this. 15, 20 minutes of meditating will do more for you in a day than extensive business courses sometimes. Because what you'll do is you'll tap much more deeply into your intuitive guidance. And I really am a great fan of that and have made a lot of money from it and have found that by hooking into what is true for me and letting the insights bubble up and making time for them to bubble up and then following those leads, things happen. Things happen that I would never have expected or guessed. I did keep meditating through my whole grief and loss experience. And I kept getting this message, just surrender, just heal. It'll be fine. Just surrender, just heal. It'll be fine. And then it was really fine. And um, to get clear on your needs, too, you know, do you need to ask for more money at work? Do you need to ask for time off? Do you need to ask for a sabbatical? Do you need to ask for more emotional support from the people around you? Asking for help is one of the things that I was not trained to do, and I had to learn how to do it. Here I was in the Bay Area where I knew very few people. I'd been in this toxic relationship that had ended, and I really didn't have a lot of friends as a result. And I was suddenly really needing a lot of support. I was 3,000 miles away from my family. So I went about the process of joining groups. And I joined mm -hmm. recovery groups to deal with some financial addictive behavior I had, which I write about in my book. And I also joined some grief groups for people who'd been through the kind of loss I'd been through. And I just mm -hmm. made this whole new core group of friends who really helped carry me through this and gave me a lot of insights, helped me create a new business, helped me you know, create the agreements I needed to create around my fiction writing that made that profitable for me. And, you know, I was so grief stricken, my brain barely worked, which is pretty much what happens. Part of your brain is literally disabled, the hippocampus, when you're grieving. And it's very hard to make decisions. It's very hard to take actions. It's all you want to do is sort of lie around and suck your thumb and you do. And that's how you get through it. And, um, you know, I, I really needed people to help me. And I know there's at least one person listening to this podcast who needs some help who needs to ask for some help, but is too afraid or too proud, because that was me. I thought, if I never ask for help, it means that I'm better at what I do, that I'm more more of an achiever. <laughs> it's really pretty funny when I think about it now. I'm more accomplished if I've done it all myself. 
And it's just nonsense. And all it does is stress me out and you out and, and uh, whoever is refusing to ask for help. That's what I would say about it. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. That. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. And I resonate a lot with that. It's this complex of needing to feel self-made. But I think when we realize that Nobody ever made it anywhere without help, without support, without love. I think it mm-hmm. provides like a lot of comfort and reassurance to yourself. But I love that you've answered my question about the financial uncertainty under like kind of a few key themes, which is obviously that pre-planning, if you can do that, then there's the mental health element. You've got to take care of your mental health and tune in to yourself for the guidance, for the clarity and then, you know, the third piece of, of leaning on our relationships for support. And, and I kind of appreciate that approach because often we think, well, I just need to know where the money's coming from without realizing, well, what's our energy? What are our beliefs around money? You know, it's, it's kind of like a full tiered complex. And sometimes we don't know the answers. And I think if anyone listening has resonated with this and is about to go through change or is contemplating change, surrounding yourself with people who can guide you through that or be supportive through that, whether it's groups, whether it's mentors, whether it's loved ones, I think uh, it is really, really important. Kind of on the similar tangent, something I just want to pivot and ask you about is I think a lot of people listening will resonate with this kind of craving or enjoyment of a busy and productive lifestyle. I think often <laughs> when we talk about right. being really, really busy, right, I think um, it, it can feel quite negative sometimes. There's, there's one aspect. There's also the other aspect where we kind of, I think, feel better about ourselves if we have all these things on. And it's almost like this buzzword that we throw around, but busyness doesn't necessarily always mean productive, right? But I think Mm. innately, some of us listening who are high achievers, who want to be self-made, all that kind of stuff, we have this buzz. We thrive off being really, really busy. So how do you kind of strike a nice balance between having a lot on and, and it's kind of like feeling feeling that dopamine, that need, that desire for being productive. How do we kind of manage that against self-care and enough downtime and enough kind of quiet time and space mm-hmm. to hear ourselves? Well, we have a little saying, me and my friends, which is when you go on vacation, that's when you really make money. And uh, I, I have much anecdotal evidence as well as my own experience to say that unless we really do take time off, we will slowly degrade our productivity. I mean, that's, there is science on that. And, you know, the studies are that not only are you much less productive with fewer breaks, but you are also at much higher risk. Women over 50 are eight times more likely to have a cardiac arrest or a heart attack if they've not gone on vacation for six years. 80%. Wow. I mean, that's, that's like, you're going to have a heart attack, honey. Go on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, that's what that's saying. Yeah, there, wow. is, um, there is a lot of productivity um, um, 
research done around taking breaks and taking vacations. I had one vacation in particular. I went to Hawaii with my wife. Uh, this was right before the pandemic. And I guess, no, let's see, it was 2019. Um, and I had just uh, done the book deal and was about to publish self-care, the Extremely Busy Woman's Guide to Self-Care, which is the book that goes with my podcast. And I get this call at the hotel, you know, like my agent called my phone in Hawaii and she said, guess what? You sold the audio rights and they want you to read the book, which was great. It was as much money as I'd made on the book deal itself. So it was really, it was really wonderful to get that call. And all I did was go on vacation. I didn't expect <laughs> it. I, I didn't anticipate it. I mean, you know, my one of my good friends is an executive coach and he always gets clients when he goes on vacation. So he goes on vacation every quarter and he always <laughs> makes money. And it, there's just something about it that is, you know, it's the signal to the universe, the larger truth, because, hey, if the gritty reality truth is not working for you, why not consider the larger truth that the universe is watching and the universe doles out rewards based on how well we take care of ourselves? It's kind of crazy, mm. but trust me, because yeah. this actually like works. That. <laughs> yeah, that's an awesome, that is a really cool reframe, hey, like to think that, you know, you get re rewarded for looking after yourself and the race is not how successful is your business, how much money yeah. are you making, it's how well are you looking after yourself. And I think whether you want to subscribe to that or not, I think ultimately if you yourself is not a priority, your health, your mental well-being, if all of that's not a priority, then everything else is sort of this superficial layer on top that's eating away at, at the main thing, which really is yourself. Like at the end of the day, we are these beings having a human experience and we need to mm -hmm. respect Indeed. that and we need to honor that. Uh, I, I guess That's kind of right. on this tangent, how do you, what are some things that you like to do? Uh, you've already mentioned meditation to keep yourself kind of, so say there's like a pendulum of being Zen monk and then burnout on the other side. What do you do to kind of avoid going down the burnout road uh, hmm. every day to, to kind of create that balance and, and just nurture that connection with yourself? I don't work through lunch ever. I don't Me either. High five sister. Good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I uh, get out for a walk in nature every day. And for me, a walk in nature could be the local park, usually is. Actually, it's five minutes up the road. And I'm lucky to live in a place with really beautiful parks. The uh, research says that 20 minutes of walking in a natural setting, including a park, is the equivalent for your nervous system of two hours of urban walking. Wow. So quick and easy solution is 20 minutes under the trees and you can do it during lunch. You know, I mean, we don't have to spend hours and hours. I mean, 15 minutes of meditation, five minutes, even whatever you can give yourself. And I know people with small children or people who have high pressure careers, we're trying to figure it out. And, you know, my mom used to just get up half an hour before everybody else and have her quiet time before the house erupted, you know? And um, for me, I uh, I don't have, you know, kids anymore, obviously, but I have quiet time for myself before the household wakes up every morning. I'm spending yeah. a little time with you right now, enjoying this. <laughs> and I'm grateful that we, we've made it a part of your, you know, you time today. So so thank you. Yes, for being, you made it into my you time, thing. Erica, because it's 7, <laughs> 7.30 in the morning here in Oakland, right? <laughs> I'm very grateful. And I know the listeners are too, because I'm learning a lot. So I know as a byproduct, they are too. 
Uh, oh, one last great. thing it's I want to ask you before I let you get back to the rest of your you time uh, is this <laughs> this idea of uh, doom scrolling, which for anyone oh, who hasn't heard that before is, you know, that endless, mindless scrolling. You get caught in a loop on social media, comparison. It fills you with self-doubt. You just honestly, it's that for me, it's that episode where you scroll and you feel really like crap after it. You feel like almost yeah. worse about yourself. It's just like you're doomed by do- even doing it in the first place. So what's your, I know you speak about having an antidote to this. What does that look like? Because that really piqued my interest. <clears throat> well, I like to um, scroll through things I like. <laughs> and that would be putting down the phone and spending a little time with a really good book or a jigsaw. I like jigsaw puzzles. I can't help it. it I just do. And they're completely the opposite of doom scrolling because you put on some lovely music, if you know, a cup of tea, a glass of wine, you get your cool puzzle. It's something really pretty that you would really like to look at and think about and ponder. It's a it's an exercise in being present. And mm. uh, the thing about doom scrolling is it's much much of it is projection. If so and so happens, then such and such. And that's not to say we shouldn't be aware. I'm a big follower of the media myself. But I also know that I I worked actually for one of the biggest newspapers in the world for a while in the marketing department. And I learned so much about the media because I learned how much of it is about positioning news to attract readers. And now, of course, with clicks, and every time there's a click, money is made. So a lot of headlines and stories are pitched towards what will get people adrenalized, what will get people interested. Yeah. The whole, you know, click for cash phenomenon has actually skewed media towards overstimulating our adrenaline and overstimulating our senses. And um, returning to something simple, the walk in the woods, the jigsaw puzzle, the sitting with your kid, you know, or sitting with your pet or, you know, I mean, I have to throw the ball for this dog of mine for an hour. Well behaved. The dog's been very well behaved. (laughs) I've got a high energy dog that really requires uh, a lot of uh, attention and time and um, (laughs) self-care. Yeah. And and it is my self-care because I get to see joy unbridled every time that dog runs for the ball. So it's it's really (laughs) fun. And I'm doing this in pretty places. So that is kind of my walk in nature every day. But I'll also say that we are skewed and wired in the 21st century towards overstimulation, and we all have overstimulated brains. And when you have an overstimulated brain, you have no time to go into something called default mode, which is this place of daydreaming. And in default mode, much like meditation, you can generate ideas that will be helpful to you. So a place of great productivity is actually, counterintuitively, the default mode. There's a very wonderful book about this called From Bored to Brilliant. I don't want to mangle the author's name, uh, so I'm not going to say it. But you can find From Bored, B-O-R-E-D, to Brilliant um, uh, on online booksellers. And uh, what she did was she test, uh, she surveyed 20,000 people on what happened when they allowed themselves to become bored. And it was this whole research project, which launched a brief podcast. I think she had one season and she did um, this really great book. And it it just was so, oh boy, it was so inspiring to me to see that somebody had done the science on this because it was what my gut was telling me I needed. 
And as a result, it has been a big message that I share in all of my work on my blog, my podcast, my books, is about this importance of letting ourselves come back to a set point, to a mm. state of being. And you know, my daughter, who was really a teal, was very wise. And in her journals, she often wrote, just be, or be and you know. And those words, it took me a long time to understand what that meant. But what it means is become present to what's around you and become present to yourself. Sounds like not productive, but it's actually very rich, very rich. Yeah, no, this is beautiful. And, and to be honest with you, I think this is something I intuitively feel and know myself. I remember very clearly a couple months ago, I started to daydream. And then I had this moment after and I thought, I don't know the last time I've done that. I remember yes. when I was younger and my mum used to drive us to school and, you know, we didn't have iPhones and yeah. she didn't. She rarely played music. And I used to look out the window and imagine myself riding a horse. I used to be obsessed with horses as we drive Aww. to school. And, you know, I just thought like that wonder, that curiosity is not something I give space for. And it was only until... I started, you know, stop listening to music when I would go for a walk or I would drive in silence sometimes. I'd just give myself a little bit of mental space or I would be okay with just sitting there and, you know, watching the sunset, not having to stimulate myself another way because the way we consume media, the way we use apps is complete overstimulation. So I really like this idea of letting yourself be bored and, and that being your default state as an antidote to doom scrolling, which is actually putting yourself in the complete opposite, which is almost like a negative state from, from default or from, you know, even if you're in a positive place, it can really pull you down the other way. So I, I really love that. Thank you so, so much for sharing that. And I want to thank you in general for everything you've shared today, your story, your work. It's resonated a lot with me. I know it's resonated a lot with everyone listening. So I'm very grateful right. for your time. And for anyone listening who wants to follow you, connect with you, maybe, you know, have a look at some of your books. Where's the best place they can go? And I'll pop some links in the show notes. Sure. Uh, well, everything is on my website at Suzanne Falter, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E-F-A-L-T-E-R.com. My new book is Free Spirited, How My Daughter Healed Me from the Afterlife. And if you go to Amazon and you type in Free Spirited Falter, F-A-L-T-E-R, it pops right up. Amazing. Well, I'll put links to all of that. I'll let you get back to your self-care morning. Take, <laughs> take the dog out. Me too. For a bit Woo. of a play. <laughs> and um, Great thank you so, so you. much. Oh, thank, thank you. you. And for anyone listening who uh, wants to hear more of Suzanne or more of any of the topics we've spoken about, make sure you use the function on the Q&A on Spotify and, and put through any requests there. But thank you, Suzanne, and uh, I look forward to chatting in the future.